Welcome everyone, we're about to begin with this is Hashem PPJ number 47, that's Bais Pnimi, Joint Share for Men and Women, Share number 47. We're in the book Eight Dates by John and Julie Gottman and Doug and Rachel Abrams. We're date number four, which is the cost of love, it's discussing money and work. And whether you have a lot of money or a little money, whether your bank account is has a lot in there or you're living paycheck to paycheck, Money is one of the top five reasons why couples fight. The chiddush is the is that it's not just when they're financially very tight that the strain makes sense that it could cause a lot of fights, but even when they are wealthy and they both have plenty money to spend, even they still fight about money. Research uh, uh, on sample of over fifty four hundred couples uh, show that. Of all the issues married couples fight about, financial arguments was the single best predictor of divorce. The other four issues that they got into conflicts the most in this particular survey was sexual intimacy, um, this, 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 uh, disagreements, in-law-related things, alcohol use, drug use, and parenting. And it's very important, this type of a date about time, about money, to work through the issues that really underlies a lot of these disagreements. And once you have an understanding of each other, then things become more clear and they could work on um, a happy medium between the two. Usually there is, when there's arguments over money, it could be because of financial inequality, um, or a different perception of what it means to be financially well-off, different perceptions about the nature of how they argue about money. So in general, we're going to categorize two stereotypes that we need to avoid these stereotypes because there's a lot more to it and it's a lot deeper than this. And one of the things that's a stereotype that they often fight about is the stereotype of a spender and a saver. What are these stereotypes? A spender sees himself or herself as wisely using their money to live a happy life of comfort, well-being, generosity, health, fun. And in, a, and, and in stereotyping a spender, if one of the spouses is a spender, the other one who's a saver will say that spender is frivolous. He or she is thoughtless, impulsive, wasteful, extravagant, self-indulgent. That's the way a saver personality will look at a spender. On the other hand, a saver sees himself or herself as being very practical, very conservative, very wise and reasonable. A saver values money as an accomplishment. It's a security, it's a power, it's a freedom from worry, it's an investment in the future. And But when a spender stereotypes a saver, they use terms like they're miserly, they're cold, they're mean, they're stingy, they're selfish, they're cynical, they're hoarders. And the truth is, is both, uh, all of us are savers and spenders at different times. And this stereotype rarely helps us understand what money means to each other to navigate those conflicts that may arise so it, it's not about numbers but it's also about what money means to you money can buy pleasure 
and money can buy security. Now, the way the Balatanya says something fascinating about money, that when you give tzedakah, why is it such a tremendous mitzvah? It goes through the fact that very often a person works extremely hard to earn that money. He gives of his sweat and his blood in that money that he earned. So when he's giving that tzedakah to, uh, to someone else, it's not just that he's giving money to that someone else. He's giving his, the hard-earned money that he put kaychas into. He's giving a part of his soul in that money that he's giving tzedakah. And that's why there's a certain mysterious nefesh there. The Tanya talks about it. And um, and it's a fascinating concept. So so money is not uh, uh, something that is to be taken lightly. And we very often work hard for our money. Very often there is a uh, disparity between a husband and wife. Only one of them works, or both of them works, and they earn different different amounts of money. And but the key really is like. It's a well-known um, saying that no one goes on their deathbed saying, I wish I spend more time in the office. So when a person knows that they're working incredibly long hours and they're overly stressed and they're pe- pressured by their career demands, that that's not a sustainable to have a conducive... Um, it's not conducive to having a happy marriage. Long hours at work can pull people apart and leave little time for connection. So there's two aspects of this money problem. There is the arguing over the money itself, and then there is the, the, res, the resentment or the distance that takes place because one is overworking. The interesting, they bring an anecdote of a John and Julie here, which is the names of these authors. So I'm curious if they're talking about themselves. It doesn't say that they are, but it may be. And, um, but basically... They're saying that um, this John wanted to pursue his work dream. He wanted to write a book for therapists, summarizing his um, 15 years of using different mathematical equations uh, and laws of physics to understand love. It was an ambitious project, and he loved it. And he was able to focus on this skill, to block everything out. That allowed him to be very successful um, by studying hours intensely. Um, and I think he is talking about himself. Anyway, he was driven on this mission, but he acknowledged it was overriding everything in his life, including his own wife, Julie. And when they were going to their 14th annual honeymoon, um, he packed up his mathematical equations and his physics books and his research pa- papers, and he went to the honeymoon with it. And he was obsessed and focused. And on the first five days that he was away with her on this honeymoon, he worked on this book 16 hours a day. On the fifth night, they pulled to their favorite Italian restaurant, and he was reading the menu. He asked his wife what she wanted to eat. And she started crying. And he was like, like sort of taken aback. Why is she crying? So then she started pouring out all her misery about the last year and in the last five days. The honeymoon was supposed to be a time to connect, celebrate their love. And he ignored her all this time. His drive to do that research in that book took everything over, including their honeymoon. So it shook him. It shook him out of his focus. He loved his work, and he wanted to further his career. 
but he realized that he was wrong. He needed to balance that love with his love for his wife. And him working 16 hours a day on a book during his annual honeymoon was conflicting the commitment that he and his wife made to spend time connecting with one another. So he was a marriage expert, so he's talking about himself. And nevertheless, this blinded him. It took her tears for him to realize how far out of balance his priorities has gotten. Yes, his book was a dream of his, but he had to acknowledge that they weren't beneficial to his marriage or to his wife, who he cared about so much. And his wife wasn't asking to give up something that was meaningful for him forever. He wasn't telling him to choose either it's your book or me, pick your choice. It wasn't like that. All she was asking for is when we're on this annual honeymoon this week, give it up for this week. Give it up for this week. And, and, and so it's not a matter of like either all or nothing. Now, what could happen a lot with couples that if, if, let's say, a husband is starting a new business or wife is starting a new project, in the beginning it takes time, commitment, long hours. But as long as you're open with one another about it and you talk to each other about it, and you realize in the beginning it will be a lot of hours. It doesn't have to be a deal breaker. It doesn't have to hurt the marriage. If they both understand these long hours will not last forever, and it will, it will, it will straighten out. Another thing about work and money overall, but now we're talking about work, is to value the aspect of the quality of whatever the work is, whether you're earning money or not earning money. The idea behind it is, is like this. When you have a married woman, a wife, that is taking care of a household of children and putting in all her heart and soul into it, that work is more valuable even, or equally valuable, to a man that's working out there, you know, making a living outside. It's very, very important to understand that. Just from an economical point of view, if someone has a lot of children, let's say a couple of children, let's say four, five, six children, all under the ages of, of eight years old and, and, or ten years old, if you hired someone to do that work, to be there 14 hours a day, to take care of the children and to take care of the household matters and to do everything that's involved in that, to clean the house, to be the personal shopper, uh, to run errands and all of this stuff, it would cost, they estimate, about 90000 a year. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of work. You're paying someone to do that. And mothers, basically, home, home mothers do this, do this work, day in and day out, day in and day out. So this is something that's very important to understand, what work really means. And it's not a value of earning the money that's coming in or not coming in. And if indeed this is the case where the husband is working, but she's also putting in all this kaychis in her house, that is real, real work. Another thing to understand is that time is money. Time has an extreme amount of value. Here's another anecdote that he brings down here with the other author of this. That's why I think it was it was John and Julie Gottman in the previous story. Doug and Rachel Abrams was another case. These are the other two co-authors where they were when they were um, seeing each other. They were both in residency, 
and they had a relationship. And um, they had very little time together. And the hours were long and brutal. And she was sleep-deprived. And they never saw each other except for their weekly date nights. And very often what happened was, is because she was, he supported her to become a physician, but there was a certain feeling of distance and dissatisfaction, and they started arguing more when they were with each other. Even on that date night, they said, okay, let's go somewhere, and they stood sat in the parking lot. They were too exhausted in the, in the apartment complex they were living in, and they were too exhausted to go out. They just sat in the car, and they were numb. And what happened was, is he, she turned to him and said, I'm afraid we're not going to make it. Our relationship won't make it. And they were both shocked when she said those words. It was a moment of vulnerability and honesty, allowing them both to drop their frustration. And they cried, and they realized how devastating it was. And then they realized that a lot of it is just the burden of this residency, of working these crazy long hours. And then she realized, and they both realized, that their marriage was more important to them. And they made a choice that... Um, she would even give up medicine and try something else to work in order for the marriage to work. Now, what happened was she didn't have to give up medicine. Instead, she told the supervisor she needed a month off because working 24-7 was causing her marriage a tremendous strain. And during that month, they made a list of what their priorities would be in their life and in their marriage and about their health, spiritual being, and family, and work, and money, and all these things. And they put all these priorities together. They realized that money was on the bottom. Now, of course, everyone needs to earn a living, but it means that as far as what is the real, real focus of what their life is about. And that put things in healthy perspective. So again, in this world, it's very difficult um, because we have to work, we have to make ends meet, we have to do our hishtablis. And it's very hard when, when one of them is working or one's working full-time, the other part-time, whatever it is. And it's hard not to over-focus on it because it's a big responsibility and you want to still be always be good at it. You have to be on top of your game because otherwise your bosses won't be happy and then you'll risk uh, losing your job or whatever you're worried about with that. But the idea is, though, is that, and it's hard, but when you have that um, over-focus on that work, it could cause a strain in the marriage because great marriages require that each person gives of their time and energy to the other spouse. And when one of them is overworked or one of them is complaining that the other one is overworked, so you need to have these conversations. You need to work things out. What does work mean to you? How is work fulfilling your life? What is the ramification of overworking, of spending too much time working as opposed to working on our relationship. And this is really something that one needs Siyat Deshmaya for, to daven for, to daven for whatever shtadas yimuchayif to do, but not that it goes overboard. That's why it's so important when you daven to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to help you for special Siyat Deshmaya, to remove the oil parnasa off you, or to put it to a point where you could still have time for your family. And it's, it's, it's a big, big Nisayan. So the idea of this, uh, which we talked about today, and we'll continue to talk about a little bit in the next year as well, 
is that this type of date of talking to each other about what money means to them, why they spend, or why they save, why, uh, uh, you know, what their behaviors were, how they grew up, whether they were financially tight or not, and whether our scuffers are, and what their scuffers overall at work, that creates a tremendous clarity that could help each other focus and work with each other and and where these type of aspects don't come into conflict. And we'll, Bezaz Hashem, address it further in the upcoming share. Brachan